I said earlier and has Jeremy just alluded to, uh, tonight to kick off our Advent series um, on hope, uh, we have Joe Lloyd, who is the parish pastor of the Sacred Grace Inglewood. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, you're going to take Nathan's job. That's fine. Sacred Grace East Colfax. They all start with E's. Um, not only that, but he's also my friend, and I love him, and I think you should too. So would you please give Joe a round of applause? It is an honor to be here with you all tonight. Uh, like Phil said, today is the first Tuesday of Advent. So this past Sunday uh, was the first Sunday of Advent. And it's difficult to find a lot of information about Advent uh, before the third to fourth century. And so historically, what we see around that time is Advent was actually about seven weeks uh, at its inception. So if you are that person that chooses to listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving or decorates before then, you have a historical precedent for doing that. And that's totally allowable. Um, but Advent, as it started, it was actually a lot like Lent. It was a season of penitence. It was a season of fasting and reflection um, and, and our need for a Savior. There was a lot of connection between Advent and Lent. By the time we get to the 7th century, there is a connection between Advent and Christmas. Advent starts the liturgical calendar, which just means that's how the church calendar starts. Um, but it's not until the 7th century where we get the connection between Advent and Christmas. And as we progress, we get to the medieval period, and that's when we get an eschatological nature of Advent, which is just a fancy word of saying the, uh, the second coming of Christ. That's when we look at Advent and we not only look back and we celebrate the birth of of Jesus, but we look forward in anticipation of his return, what we just sang of when we arrive at eternity's shores. That's the second advent. And so that happens in the 1500s. And in the 1600s, we have this, this connection of Advent and Christmas, and they're one in the same. And that's what moves us into where we have Advent and Christmas together like we do now, where we celebrate Christmas and we might think that Advent and Christmas are the same thing, but they're actually quite different seasons. Advent begins the liturgical calendar, and it, it celebrates three dimensions of life at the same time. So life in the past, where we look back and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Life here in the present, where we celebrate and where we reflect. But also life in the future of the second coming and the second advent of Christ. One of the things that I've come to really love about Advent is Advent is a very realistic season. And what I mean by that is it, it recognizes what's happening in the world around us. It's not just a season where we put on blinders and we have lights and gifts and presents and, and we don't think about the reality of the brokenness, both in ourselves and in the world. It's a season that's rooted in the here and now and in some of the hard and broken things that we see. Tish Harrison Warren, she's an Anglican priest, and a couple years ago she wrote this article, and this is an excerpt from her, from her article that I think gives a, a really grounding position of what Advent can be for us. To practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, worldless desire for things to be made right, and the incomplete, incompleteness we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, darkness. Advent holds space for our grief, and it reminds us all that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but we are also wielders of it. 
contributing our own moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. At the heart of Advent is to acknowledge our brokenness and the depth of this human predicament that we find ourselves in. It's a recognition of a need for the light to come into the darkness, of a need of hope and peace and joy and love. And I've come to really love this season of Advent because there's an immense amount of hope that happens despite what is going on in the world around us. One of our favorite shows over the last year uh, was this show called Ted Lasso. If you are unfamiliar with the show, there's a picture of Ted. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the show, the premise is an American football coach moves to England and becomes a soccer coach. It is precisely as absurd as it sounds, but Ted is this really positive, optimistic, upbeat guy, and not optimistic in this way that's kind of annoying, but he's incredibly endearing, so much so that most of the characters who are skeptical or cynical of him, by the time they meet him, they are very quickly endeared to him. He becomes the coach of this team called AFC Richmond, which is a team in, in the Premier League. Now, the Premier League is the professional soccer league in England. And what the Premier League has that many sports here don't have is they have what's called relegation. So at the end of the season, the worst teams are actually demoted to like a minor league team. Like we obviously don't have that. And that's something that professional athletes don't want. They don't want to be relegated to a lesser league. And so towards the end of the first season, AFC Richmond is facing this relegation. They have one game that they need to win, and if they don't win it, they will likely be relegated. And going into this game, Ted has heard this phrase a lot that he's not very fond of. He's very optimistic, and this phrase is, it's the hope that kills you. And he's heard this phrase a lot from Richmond fans because they're very familiar with the hope that kills you. They hope that their team is going to score the goal that's going to win the game. They have all this hope in their professional sports team, and it only lets them down. Now, while football is obviously very trivial, I suspect many of you can think of a time when you hoped for something and that didn't come true. You hoped for a relationship that fell apart or didn't materialize in the way that you wanted. You hoped for a job and you didn't get it. You hoped for a friend or a family member to be healed, and that didn't happen. And hope can be really challenging because there's that crushing side of it of when it doesn't happen, it can be very painful. It's challenging because we often might think that hope acts in ignorance of reality. It has these blinders on, and we think it's just maybe blind optimism, but that's not hope at all. Hope is persistent despite the hard and broken things that we have in our life. Hope has one foot in reality and it has the other foot in this alternate world that has incredible beauty and potential that God is working and moving. And this Christmas story, it is riddled with hope. It's riddled with stories of unlikely people finding hope in the pregnancy of Mary and the birth of Jesus What's come to be one of my favorite readings throughout Christmas is the, our reading for tonight, and it comes in Luke 1. This is Mary's song after she finds out that she is pregnant with Jesus. And while it doesn't explicitly talk about hope, I would contend that the entire song is incredibly hopeful. This is what it says in Luke 1. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. First, I want to provide just a little bit of context and background of, of what's happening here. What I think is so beautiful and hopeful about this is this comes from Mary, who is an unmarried teenager who's pregnant. And that was an enormous risk to her. She literally risked her life to carry Jesus. But it also comes in the context of who Mary was and what was happening at the time. Mary was a religious minority as a Jew living underneath the Roman Empire. She was an ethnic minority as well. She was someone who was likely poor, yet despite all of these things, she sings this song with all of these beautiful and hopeful things about God and who he is. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about, but three things specifically that I want to look at. The first thing is this. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. We experience hope through God's mercy. His mercy extends to those who fear him. First, though, I think it's important to acknowledge that hope is something that is active. I imagine when people think about hope, they might think of something that's passive or something that's not moving. Like we might just sit on our hands and do nothing, but hope is something that is actually quite active. One of the clearest ways that we experience this activity or hope that we've had in our own life is we're now awaiting the birth of our second kid. She's due in April, and as we wait, we are hoping, but we're also actively doing things to plan and to prepare for that. We're not just sitting around and hoping that April 6th comes around and everything's okay. There's many things that are happening that are going through this process. Most of them are being done by my wife. I'm not doing any of them. But hope is something that is very active. It's a posture that we take. Now, specifically about God's mercy, I find God's mercy to be incredibly hopeful because it means whatever sinfulness or brokenness that I might have, that it's handled by God. While I might have to deal with the implications of this, it's ultimately God who is kind and merciful who's dealing with me. Whatever injustice and brokenness and pain we might see in our city or in our neighborhood or in the world around us, that can be brought to a God who is merciful, not a God who is vindictive or small and petty. And I think that's an incredibly hopeful thing. I think God's mercy is hopeful because it's something that's active. It's something that is extended to us. And I believe that we are called to extend that to other people we are able to be a place of hope and mercy to others. I think part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we are to be like God to the world around us. We say this in our churches every week in our generosity prayer, that we want to show the world what God is like. And God is merciful, and God is a God of hope. Are you a place of hope and mercy for others? That's the first thing. The second thing is this. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. 
Now, this might sound a little bit weird, but when I think about Advent and the birth of Christ, I think about the political climate of that day. Jesus' birth came at the time of the Pax Romana, which there was relative peace throughout much of the world. Now, this wasn't necessarily a peace that was an absence of hostility, but rather this was a peace that was through force and power and coercion. Roman, the Roman Empire ruled everything. They ruled every facet of people's lives, and there was no room politically, amongst other things, for people to choose anything other than Rome. Yet what is surprising about what Mary has to say and how the gospel writers write about Jesus and his birth is they utilize political language to describe Jesus. Here's an excerpt of a writing from the first century that will hopefully illustrate what I'm talking about. Now, I've removed the name of who it's talking about, and so you'll see the name up there, but this is what it says. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us, this person, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas, having become God manifest, has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birth of this person has been for the whole world the beginning of good news concerning him. That sounds a lot like how we talk about Jesus and how we have become accustomed to hearing about who Jesus is. But here's the same quote again with the person's name filled in. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the Emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior has put an end to the war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of God, Augustus, has been the whole world, the beginning of the good news concerning him. Now I think hopefully you can see how the birth of Jesus and the way that people talked about him, the way that the angels came and proclaimed who he was, this was an incredible, an incredible thing for someone to say about someone that isn't Caesar. And this was a time when a lot of hope was placed in rulers and in emperors and in politics. And thankfully, we're so far removed from that now. We don't do that anymore. But as Mary sings, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. And the hope of Advent is that this world and its rulers and its powers, they don't get the last word. That one day will be on eternity's shores and there will be no tears anymore. There's hope that this world isn't governed by rulers who are greedy and evil and corrupt, but rather the hope that the humble can be lifted up. We may never see the full realization of this until the this, this second advent, but certainly there is a hope that we have, and it's not found in a person or a political position. This hope is found in Jesus. There's hope despite political corruption, despite rulers who only honor themselves. There's hope for the humble. And I find that incredibly hopeful about what Mary has to say. And this is the third thing. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. What I think is interesting about hope is hope is always about something you don't have. Like I am married now, so currently I'm not hoping to be married when I was single, I was hoping to be married, but now that I'm married, I'm not hoping to be married. Hope is about something we don't have. And so often for me, when I think about someone who is rich, I think about somebody who has everything. 
They have every material possession they might want. They have nice homes. They typically have a lot of friends and a lot of influence. They typically appear successful. And so to me, it at least seems like they have everything that they could ever want. And if they have everything that they want or need, how can they hope for anything? And Mary inverts this. We see that the rich are actually the ones who are going to be empty, and yet the hungry, who we often think of as someone who is poor, they're the ones who are going to get good things. The hope is that for those who are hungry and those who are poor, this hope comes in unlikely places to unlikely people, and that's riddled throughout the story of Jesus' birth. It's the last game of the season for AFC Richmond, and they have to win in order to not be relegated. And Ted is giving his pregame speech, and he says, you know, you guys have this saying around here that I'm not very fond about, and it's the hope that kills you. And he says, you know, I don't think that's, why, I don't think that's right. I think it's the lack of hope that kills you. Hope is an essential part to being human. We need it to move, to move forward. Hope sustains us. It inspires us. It often comes with purpose and meaning, the things that we are all looking for. It's an essential part of Advent, and it's an essential part of being human. And wherever you may be on the spectrum of feeling crushed and defeated or feeling hopeful, my prayer for you is that you would be persistent in hope. Because there's so much hope to be found in the birth of Jesus. There's hope to be found in the song and hope to be found in Advent. It's the lack of hope that kills us. Let me pray. God, may we be persistent in our hope. May we be a source of hope for others. May we find hope in you, may we find hope in your birth of your coming to this earth. We love you, God.